Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. Happy Father's Day. All right. If you're a father here today or you're a young man who hopes to be a father one day, it's the coolest thing on the planet. The only thing that trumps being a father is being a grandfather. So if you're a young father or not a father yet, uh, pray for grandchildren. In fact, if you're not a father yet, skip the children, pray for grandchildren. Because all those old people that told me grandparenting was the best, they were not lying. Grandkids are better than our own kids. It's just the way it is. I don't get it. And so happy Father's Day. We're delighted that you're here. We're going to have a good time in the Word of God today. If you've got a Bible or device, turn to James chapter 4. And as you turn there, let me just say this week was a big week. We had water week for our students, and I commend Clark and his team. Man, they were amazing. And if you were a boat captain, thank you so much. You were amazing. If you were on the cooking staff, thank you so much. I know you had a good time, and you're amazing. And if you're one of the students that attended, quite honestly, y'all rocked, man. Y'all are amazing. To the parents of the students that I snatched around the lake, the ones that came back with battle scars, let me just tell you, they were amazing. They were respectful. They were kind to each other. They were helpful to each other. And we're talking about middle schoolers and high schoolers. That's an act of God. And so y'all were amazing. It was a great, great week. And this week is a great week. These are not our normal Sunday morning decorations. They could be. They kind of match me. But uh, this week's Vacation Bible School. And it's going to be another great week. We have little boys and girls this week. We'll get to tell about Jesus. And if you haven't signed up, it don't matter. Just come on. We want you to be here from 6 to 8 on Monday through Thursday. It's going to be a great week. Now, those are great weeks. Great weeks. But all of those events require planning. A tremendous amount of planning for them to be even remotely successful. And that's such as life. Everything in our life requires some level of planning, right? I mean, our birth requires somebody to plan something and when we die somebody plans our funeral and everything in between is a part of a plan and so James is going to talk about because he's our blue collar scholar he's talking about life a faith that works out every day you know that's out faith on the inside showing up on the outside and so he's going to help us with the idea of planning now you've heard the expression to uh, fail to plan is to plan to fail you can plan all you want to and you're still going to fail because we live in a life of variables. We live in a, in a world of, of unknowns, terrible unknowns, surprises. And so James is going to help us find out how we can write a plan, because planning's good, write a plan uh, that we can trust, a plan that we can live by successfully and navigate through the changes in our life. Because we all know that there's things that happen every single day that we didn't plan for. Things that are out of our control, out of our bank of knowledge. We don't have anything. We didn't know how to plan for it because we did not see it coming. I just made a small list of things that you might have experienced that disrupted your plans in the last just few months maybe. It might look like inflation, interest rates, fuel prices, relationship failure, stock market swings, sickness, lies that others tell, mistakes we make, mistakes others make, weather changes, war, crime, unemployment, and even death itself. And we are not in control of any of those things. And they are real. Now, if you have experienced a change of plan in your life in the last year because of one of those things, say, I have, 
If you've experienced a change in your plans in your life because of most of those things in the last year, say, I have. The truth is that we walk in it. We walk in it. And, and James is writing to the early first century church. And albeit it was different than now, they still lived in a life of variables too. Because all of us live in a life of unknowns. Because it's, it's, we, we weren't designed or created. Although we're image bearers of God, we are not God. And therefore, we don't know what God knows. He's given us his infallible, inerrant, eternal love letter called the Bible to tell us everything we need to know, but not all there is to know. There's not enough pages, not enough ink to tell us all he knows, so he gives us all that we need to know to live a successful and fruitful and God-honoring life. And so we make plans. And it begins early in life, but we'll just begin at, say, age 15. Age 15, young man, young lady gets excited. They think, man, I'm 15. I can get a permit. I'm going to get my permit, and then a year from now, I'm going to have my driver's license. And often, they do that. And all of a sudden, they bank some trust in their plans because they said they were going to do it. They did it. Bam. So they start trusting it. And then they say, you know what? In two years, uh, I'm going to be, say, 18, and I'm going to graduate high school. And so uh, they make that plan, and all of a sudden, they look up, and they've graduated, and they start trusting their plans more. And so they just say, now, what are we going to do now? Some would say, I'm going to college, and they go. Some would say, I'm going to get a job, and they do. Some would say, I'm going to join the military, and they join. Some would say, I'm going to jail, because the judge says, I'm going to jail, and they do. And some have this revol revolutionary idea, you know what, it's a brutal world out there. It's very scary. I'm going to stay home with mom and dad for the next 10 years. All of those are real options. And so they make a decision, a volitional decision to say, that's what I will do. And they do it. And they begin to trust their plans. So then they meet somebody, the boy, the girl of their dreams. And they plan it, only to find out it's the boy or the girl of their nightmares. And it's not the right person. So then they get married. They find the right person. They get married. And when they get married, they find out they have a great plan, but there's a problem with their plan. The person who wears the wedding band on the other half of that equation has a plan, and their plan is so much better. You can ask them. And so now we struggle. We have to merge our plans. And so we modify our plans, and then we decide, okay, we've got a good plan. We need to buy a house. And so we start looking for a house, and we find the house that we want. We could just spend eternity together with in and, and have children in and all that. And, and we have a plan, so we put a contract in only to find out somebody else had a different plan. Their plan decided to pay $100,000 more than the house was worth, and so they got the house. There goes our plans. And then we figure out a place to live, and then we decide, you know what? Let's make a plan. We're at a good place in our life. We're not getting any younger. We should have a baby. And you plan to have a baby and how you're going to raise the baby. And the baby gets here only to find out that baby was born with a different plan. That baby's plan says, I've got the plan. I'm going to stay up all night. I'm going to scream at you every time I want something. My plan includes throwing up on your new dress, mom. My plan includes pooping on your brand new sofa. My plan includes everything you didn't have in your plan. And the parents look at the baby and say, sounds like a good plan to me. And so they modify their plan. It goes on and on and on. Ultimately, we grow old. And strangely enough, both the husband and the wife don't die simultaneously on the same day. 
And that, our plan was to grow old together and Jesus returned. And we wouldn't even experience that. It didn't come out that way. And so, so now we're left alone. All of life looks like a plan that fails. And the truth is, all plans have failure in them. James is going to dive into the middle of it and say, let me warn you about something. Let me help you as you write your plans in life. James is not saying there's anything wrong with planning because it is biblical. James is not saying it's any, there's anything wrong with having a dream or a vision. It's biblical. James is not saying that planning is a bad thing. He's saying there's a good way to plan. And even in your best plans, you're going to experience failures because life is full of variables and things that we simply do not know. And so the title of the message today is this, on the back of your life guide, A Plan You Can Trust. A Plan You Can Trust. In James chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 13. And point number one is this, a, uh, a, a plan you can trust begins by taking away all preconceived accomplishments. Take away all preconceived accomplishments. You, 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 you can write what you hope the end is, but you can't have a preconceived idea of those accomplishments. Now, the word preconceived, it means to be formed without substantial evidence. Now, you can study all you want to, but at the end of the day, you don't have enough information to determine the end of the plan. Here's what James says in James chapter 4, verse 13. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into this or that town and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Now, James is referring to what we would call an entrepreneur, a business owner. But it can be anybody. It can be anybody who writes a plan or a script into the future. It could be a mother. It could be a dad. It could be a couple. It could be a student. It could be a, it could be a business owner. It could be anybody. It, he's talking about plans. Now, in this plan, this guy steps up to the plate, and, man, he comes in strong. He is answering all of the serious questions that we need to know. He's done the research. The who, the what, the when, the where, the why, he's answered them. He says, the who, that's we. This is what we're going to do. He says, who, what, what are we going to do? We are going to do business. And then he says, who, what, where, where are we going to do it? We're going to do it either in this town or that town. And who, what, when, where, uh, why? Because we're going to make a, a profit. He, he's got all of the answers, right? And, and he's got a business plan, right? He's written this thing. He's thought it through. He's done the research. And such is our life. Such are our plans many times. We do the work, the legwork, the research. We battle through it. We struggle. We study. We ask questions, and then we come up with a plan, a great plan, a strategic plan, something that looks good, and on the end, the results has to be good because look at how well this is planned. Now, James, again, he's not saying any of this is bad. He's just saying there's a problem with this plan. You see, God has given us the ability to study and learn and uh, inquire. God has given us the, a good reason to be assertive and confident because we can look at God's uh, hit track record, hit what he's done in our life in the past, and, and we can have some confidence in God and, and what we're supposed to do. Uh, God has given us the ability uh, to, to, to project energy into something because he lets us develop and have strength and to learn, and so we know what we're doing. But there's a problem. 
There's no God mentioned in any of his plan. You see, he just comes into his, the world with his plan, and, and it's all about what he can do and what he is going to do. He is guilty of what many of us are guilty of, and that is godless planning. Godless planning. Often what we do is we write a plan and we get in the middle of it. And whether it's going great or not so great, what we do then is say, God, you like my plan? I'm asking that you bless it. Because I'm a Christian, you see, and I'm a child of God. And we're supposed to ask for your blessing. God, I'm asking that you bless my plan. What we should do is say, God, show me the plan you want to bless and let me step into it. You see, we get the the, the cart before the horse, so to speak. We miss a primary step in our plans, and that is simply to uh, align ourselves with God. And so rather than our plans sounding like this, hey, what are you doing now? Well, you know what? God just changed everything. He's got me doing this over here. Or we say, you know what? Uh, I think God wants me to do this. Uh, God's changing the gears. He's doing uh, changing directions. Things are changing. It doesn't sound like that. It sounds like this guy. How many of you have told people, maybe your parents, maybe your friends, maybe your spouse, maybe your children, I, I think I am going to do this. I think we're going to do this. Have you ever done that? Say, I have, because we all do it, all right? Now, this is not new. This is not Western civilization. This is not the good old United States of America. This, this has been around for a really long time. In fact, before we got here, before Adam and Eve got here, this existed. If we read in Isaiah chapter 14, we find the first account of a godless plan. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, it says, you said to yourself, he's talking to Lucifer. Lucifer was a beautiful angel. He was gifted. He, he was, it describes him and he just had all this beauty. God had really laid the blessing on him. And this is what happened. Lucifer rises up. And in verse 13, he says, I will climb up to the sky. He says, above the stars of El, and I will set up my throne. I will rule on the mountain of assembly, on the remote slopes of Zaphon. I will climb up to the top of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. Now, more than likely, Your I wills, we wills, your personal strategic plan for life without God is not an assault on the throne of God, but it's a revelation of who is on the throne in your life. You see the difference? Maybe you're not attacking God and his sovereignty and rising up to godness yourself. Maybe your selfish, godless plans are just a revelation of who's really on the throne in your life. Now listen what happens to Lucifer. We've got to read the rest of the story. I just want you to know when we make godless plans, they fail. Long term, they will not work. He says, but you were brought down to Sheol. That's what you said you were going to do. Let me tell you what happened. You were brought down to Sheol to the remote slopes of the pit. Those who see you stare at you and they look at you carefully thinking, is this the man who shook the earth? The one who made kingdoms tremble? Is this the one who made the world like a wilderness, who ruined its cities and refused to free his prisoners so they could return home? This is the one? Man, it sure doesn't look like the moment when he said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And that's the way our life is. 
When we rise up with godless plans, we will ultimately fail. Now, I want to I say it again. God has a plan. God always has a plan. He has always had a plan. He will always have a plan. And his plan is planned around details that you and I will never know. You see, he knows it all. And so he can plan such And so we've got to change the way that we do our life by aligning with the way God has planned our life to be. You see, all through Scripture, it reveals the plan of God. Even when Adam and Eve fell, it was part of God's sovereign plan. You say, well, how is that? People say, why, if God knew Lucifer was going to become Satan, why did he just not create the devil? Because God has a greater plan. God could have made Adam and Eve and everybody who followed Adam and Eve, you and me, to be robots that would just admire God and praise God and live in sinless perfection. He could have done that. But God is first and foremost about his glory. And there's no glory in creating people that he makes worship him. But if he makes people with the ability to choose to worship him, knowing that they will choose not to worship him, and then he knows that ultimately they deserve death, hell, and the grave. How's he get glory out of that? He had a plan. He wrapped himself in mankind. He came to this earth. He died on a cross after living a perfect life. He rose from the dead. He bought us out of our sinful condition and allows us to choose whether or not we receive his gift. And that's where the glory comes in. You see, God's plan is always bigger than what we see. There's a greater narrative, a, a more beautiful story, even if we don't see all of the details around it. And so... James is going to tell us that we need to live our, to have a plan that we can trust. We need to go to number two, avoid presumptuous anticipation. Presumptuous anticipation. Now, the word presumptuous means failing to observe permitted limits. So we're making assumptions based on limits that God has already put in place. You know what presumptuous, does anybody have anybody in your world that's presumptuous? I mean, they just think that you owe them. Uh, one, level, one way that you see this, you know, everybody has a circle, right? This, this psychological circle of comfort. And, and some people, the circle is like three feet around them. And you get in that circle and you watch them. They start stepping back. If you want to find out where somebody's circle is at, start talking to them and just move in a little closer. You'll find their circle. Some of them at three feet. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And they're they're treading water, man. They're going back. And some people, their circle is almost like they took a pencil and drew it around their shoes. You're standing there and they want to tell you something. And this is what they do. They walk right up in. Hey, I was just going to tell you. And you can feel, you smell their breath. You know, you can tell their body temperature. I mean, Anybody know somebody like that has a little bitty circle? You let, the, let, let a little circle get into a big circle. Big circles move. Yo, I know what you're saying. And they just following you, you know? Now, presumption is that where you just presume that there's, that there's no limit. And with God and his plan and his plans for our life, he has limitations. He has things he has ordained in his sovereign plan to happen in your life. And so... So when we look at this, we see what James says in verse 14. This is what presumption looks like. Like we have all the answers. 
and all the time to accomplish our plan. And yet James comes in like he does, brutal. He says, you don't know about tomorrow, first of all. And he says, beyond that, what is your life like? He says, let me answer that question. For you are a puff of smoke that appears for a short time and then vanishes. So James says, you have these presumptuous assumptions and you're making plans around it. You don't even know what tomorrow holds. You don't even know if you get a tomorrow. So what kind of plan is that? And you're doing it without God. You're you're writing your own plan without the one who has the answers to tomorrow and the one who holds your days in his hand. And so it starts when we're young and we begin to think, I'm going to get this date or I'm going to go to that school or I'm going to have that spouse or I'm going to buy that house or I'm going to have that perfect child that doesn't act like their child. And we have all of these presumptuous assumptions about our plans. And the truth is we only have limited knowledge and limited control. And then some, somehow things don't seem to work out and we get disappointed and we get frustrated. And sometimes we blame God because our plans didn't work out and see that's the problem with godless plannings planning if we want a plan that we can trust it must avoid presumptuous assumptions about the end result you see God has written this plan and I had all of that list earlier and maybe none of that stuff hits you maybe your your life didn't hadn't experienced a change because of any of that list If I could sum up the reality of change and unknowns in our world, I can do it in five letters. You ready? C-O-V-I-D. Anybody see that one coming? No. Anybody's life affected by that? Absolutely everybody. And it's still affected by it. You see, that's the world we live in. And so God was not surprised by any of that. Inflation? no surprise. Gas prices, no surprise. COVID, no surprise. He's never surprised. It's never happened to God. Why? Are you ready? First of all, God is sovereign. The word sovereign means he's supreme over all things. That's God. Secondly, God is omnipotent. Potent is a word for powerful. He's all powerful. Nothing threatens his power. Next, he's omniscient. S-C-I-N-T is science, knowledge. He's all knowledgeable. He knows everything, past, present, and future, equally the same. And on top of that, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. So what does that mean? (laughs) You and I cannot sneak up on God with a new idea. He's never surprised. He's never shaken. There's not a Monday on God's eternal calendar where he calls a staff meeting and says, Holy Spirit, Jesus, angels, circle up. We got a problem. We got, who was responsible for that? Who let that one sneak up on us like that? Who, who, who was responsible? I mean, I, heads are going to roll. I want to talk to somebody. No, they never have that conversation. He knows all things. He's powerful over all things. And he has a plan that includes all of that stuff. Well, how is that? 
That, mean, that, mean, that means God is the, is the reason we had a pandemic? No. The devil is the reason we have a pandemic. You see, every form of sickness, every form of death, every form of suffering and sorrow is a product of that great I will that happened in Isaiah. When Lucifer rose up and God kicked him out of heaven and he landed here, he, he hates God and he hates everything God loves. And so he brought in death and destruction and sickness and sorrow. Meanwhile, you say, well, God allows all that stuff? Yes, he does. Anything that happens in this world has gone through God's sovereign filter of his will. There's nothing that happens, and that's hard. That's hard. Because when you are a child of God, you're born again, Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and terrible stuff happens, you want to say, God, why is this happening to me? To which God would say, because I am God, and I get to do what I want to do, but I promise you, I will make it right. He's always at work making everything wrong that the devil does, making it right because he's got a plan. God always has a plan that's bigger than our plan. It's better than our plan. So here it is. I, I shared this in the other service. My wife is really smart. Uh, she teaches calculus. Anybody in here do that? Probably not. She's probably smarter than all y'all. And in the early service, I had Megan Ellis. She's a calculus math teacher. She's a wizard. And I know you're smart in your own right. All of y'all are brilliant. I know that. She's smart. She 4-0. A 4-0 student all her life. You know what a 4-0 student wants to know all of her life? The answers to the questions. But somehow in her 4-0 life, her 4-0 A average life, she decided to marry a 2-5 C <laughs> on a good day. Now, the difference is this. 408 likes all the answers. 2-5 C, I like about two-thirds of the answers. I'm not that concerned about the other third. They're not going to rock my world, okay? Now, so for Kendra not to have all the answers, and how do I know she wants answers? Because she asks a lot of questions. How do I know that? I've been married to her for 30 many years. And, and here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you are a 25C or a 40A. We all like some answers. But I want you to understand something. It doesn't matter where you fall on that scale. You don't need to know all the answers. You just need to know the one who does. You see, when you realize, okay, God's got all the answers, I don't have to have them all. He'll tell me what I need to know when I need to know it, and I can walk in that. And, and it's good news. We can trust him. He knows the answers to your questions. He knows tomorrow and a million years from now and every detail of every one of those days. Meanwhile, James asked this question. He says, what do you know about tomorrow? And are you even going to get one? We are out of control in an out of control world. You get that, right? How do I know we're out of control? And how do I know you really aren't as in control as you think you are? I'll give you a good illustration. 
And you can do this when you get home. You can take 10 pennies, 10 pennies, and on each penny write the numbers 1 through 10 consecutively. And this is how in control you are. Reach into your pocket after you put those 10 pennies numbered consecutively, 1 through 10. Reach in your pocket and pull out a penny. There's a 1 in 10 chance that you'll get number 1. Okay? Put that penny back in your pocket. Reach back into your pocket and pull out the number 1 again, followed by the number 2. The chances of you drawing number 1 and number 2 consecutively out of your pocket of 10 is now 1 in 100. You take those two pennies, you put them back in your pocket of 10 pennies. Now you draw out number one, number two, and number three consecutively out of that pocket of 10 pennies. Your chances of that are one in 1,000. You do that all the way through 10 pennies. You know what the chances of you drawing one through 10 out of your pocket in a row is? One in 10 billion. You say, how do I know you're not that much in control? You can't even control getting 10 pennies out of your pocket, right? And yet we think we control the cosmos. It's silly, isn't it? We're not in control. So why do we pretend like we are? Why do we make statements like we are? Why do we make plans like we are all without the one who made the copper that we made the pennies with? God says, listen, you don't have to know all that. I've got it. Now, so he says you don't know anything, but I know everything. But then he goes on, and he says, he says not only that, he says, but you, you only have today. You make plans, but you're not even guaranteed about tomorrow. We don't like to talk about this, by the way. It's why, why most of us don't have a will, because we don't want to talk about dying and giving our stuff to somebody else. You know, I hate the thought of Clark and Kelsey and Caitlin spending what we work so hard to get. Just hate it. They don't know it. I might give it all to the church just so they'll be disappointed when I die. Now, we're all going to die. We're all dying right now. Did you know that? I thought I'd encourage you. It's a beautiful day. Happy Father's Day. We're all dying. Some of us quicker than others. So we get into this world and we feel like we're going to last and live forever. The graveyard is absolutely chock full of people who thought they had another day, right? Nobody, or very few people know, I'm dying tomorrow. Even if the doctor says you have one day to live, you know, we just don't know. We want to think we have more days, another day. And it seems like sometimes it goes so slow. Uh, we have a new grandbaby, his name is Macon, and he's a, I'm proud to say he's a six-pounder now which is great if you're like a smallmouth bass, but it's a very little boy. He's a little bitty guy. And it's funny, when Clark sent Major, their two-year-old son, our other, one of our other amazing grandchildren, sent a picture of Kelsey and said, hey, Major, this is mommy with baby making. He said, no like it. <laughs> it's not even a person. It's it, no like it. Now, I'm proud to say at this point, now he's about six pounds. Now when he cries, Major will drop what he's doing, and he'll go look and say, Macon, he'll check on him. Now, it's all fun, man, and, and, and you know, uh, it, it seems like it's just, you know, it seems like it's going slow. I guarantee for Kelsey, it seems slow because he has to eat because he's a six-pounder. He has to eat every three hours. So she has to prepare for that. She has to pump. <laughs> she has to feed 
And so she gets about an hour of sleep every three hours. And it, I'll guarantee you it's not going by quickly right now. She's thinking, I kind of wish he was a 25-pounder, okay, because I wouldn't be doing it like this. But the truth is, although it start, starts kind of slow, life amps up. It gets faster and faster. And we look up one day and we're like 60 in July. I know I, I don't look a day over 70, but I'll be 60 in July. And, and so that's what life does. And, and we, have this, we have this odd perspective of time, even when we're children. I, I did children's ministry for a long time while doing student ministry. And, and I remember one Sunday morning we were doing children's church, and I had about 100 kids, and they found out it was my birthday that week, and they wanted to sing happy birthday and all that stuff. And so when I said, Pastor Joel, how old are you? I was about 40 to 45. And I said, well, that's a good question. Let's hear. How old do y'all think I am? <laughs> the range was from 12 to 100. <laughs> I remember when my grandmother told me this story. When I was six, I had a cousin who was five. And we stayed all night with my mama and my papa. And she had fed us breakfast. And she was cleaning up. And I was sitting at the table with Steve. And Steve said, Joel, Barry just got $3 for his birthday. We only get $2 for our birthday. When do we start getting $3? And me being a C minus, C plus guy, I had information. I said, well, that happens when we're 12. We start getting $3, but we'll never see it. And my mama said, my cousin Steve said, why will we never see $3? He said, because that's six years from now. I know Papa will be dead, and Mama, she'll probably be gone too. They were in their late 50s. <laughs> but in a six-year-old mind, might as well have been 150, you know? We have this strange idea about time and our personal timelessness and our personal immortality. And James says, no. He says, your life is a vapor. What is that? It's really kind of cool. The Greek word is atmis, A-T-M-I-S. And if you extend that, you would get the word like atmosphere. And the word is actually on a winter morning when you breathe and you see your breath. And it lasts for just like a second or two and then it dissipates into oblivion. And James says, you don't know what tomorrow holds. And you don't know, you don't realize how brief your life really is. And you continue to make plans without God. And so we need to understand that life is short. Scripture is very clear about this. Watch this. All throughout, but I'll just give you a few. Psalm 90 says, a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday. First Chronicles 15 says, life is like a shadow Job 7, 6 says days are swift. Job 7, 7, it's like wind. 7, 9, it's like a cloud that comes and goes. Job 8, 9, like a shadow. Job 9, 25, swift like a swooping eagle. Job 14, 1 and 2, it's a, we only have a few days, like a fading flower. Psalm 102, it's like smoke and withering grass. 2 Peter 3, 8, thousand years, it's like a day with God. We, it's, it's not that much. It's not that much. We don't have that much time. So David says this beautiful thing. David says in Psalm 90, verse 12, he says, So teach us, God, to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. 
Number our days. You know what that means? Count our days. Consider our days. Now, what does that look like? I told you I'll be 60 in July, and I have a pretty long uh, gene pool lifeline. I don't, you know, I don't believe in looking at this. Some people say, what's your lifeline look like? It looks like a, a crack in my hand. That's what it looks like, okay? But I have longevity in my family. It's not uncommon for people in my family to live in their 90s. So if I'm soon to be 60, and let's just say I take care of myself and God wills, it's not unreasonable for me to say I got 30 years left. Maybe optimistic, but I hope Jesus comes back now. So, you know, that, that'll get me out of here and you easy. But let's just say I live 30 more years. Well, if we number our days, then we say 30 years times 365 days. I have potentially 10,950 days left after my birthday in July, right? You say, well, that's a lot of days, but here it is. I'm not guaranteed any of those. The only one I'm guaranteed is day one, the one I'm walking in. Now, here's what, what's interesting about numbering our days. The big one, the one we like to focus on, it gets smaller every day. In fact, it's counting down 10,949 on the day after my birthday. And it's always getting smaller. And the only one we're guaranteed, the one, it never gets any bigger. It's just one. And so David says, count your days. God, help us number our days. What does that even mean? We're not guaranteed tomorrow, but God has a plan that will help us not waste today. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to live and enjoy this day without worrying about tomorrow and the rest of them? Uh, transparency. Does anybody worry about anything in the future? If you do, say, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Which means always. We always are kind of thinking about it. I mean, thinking about what we're going to eat tomorrow. You're thinking about where we're going to go. Thinking about this. Planning for these things. And there's nothing wrong with, with thinking into the future. There's nothing wrong about planning into the future. But don't do it without God. Include yourself in God's plan. Notice I didn't say include God in your planning Include yourself in God's plan because his plan is always bigger and it's always better. And all of our plans go awry sometimes. Clark and Kelsey had a plan to have a baby about uh, eight and a half months ago, not even nine months ago. And it's a good plan. And children are a gift from God. It was a part of God's plan is children. And so they were aligned with God's plan, but at week 30, Kelsey's water broke. Week 30. That means that six-pounder was a little bitty, little bitty guy. Two-and-a-half-pounder probably. And for the next four weeks, Kelsey would pretty much be laying in a bed at Fort Sanders Hospital so she didn't go into labor to let this little boy develop. Her plan, their plan just absolutely fell off the tracks, okay? And then at 34 weeks, she gave birth to this little, what's now, six-pounder. And although the plan, their plan, what they had planned, didn't work out like they thought, 
God in his sovereignty had another plan. He wanted them and us to have a six pounder. And God is still working out his plan. You see, when our plans go crazy, if we're in his plan, he's still going to work out a good plan. Always. That's good news. That way we don't get disappointed. We don't get mad at God when things don't look like what we plan. Number three, a plan you can trust pushes through a procrastinating attitude. To procrastinate means to delay, postpone, or put off. Anybody in here ever put off anything? Let me come and look at your garage. Let me come and look at your closet. You know, there's a physical law like gravity. It's called entropy, where things long for disorder. And if you don't think that is real, go to your closet. Your shoes don't automatically line up. Shirts don't automatically jump up on the hanger, okay? Underwear from yesterday don't automatically end up in the hamper. Now, that's never happened in my house, but I've heard of houses where that happens, okay? Entropy, disorder, okay? And so we know there's things, I need, to, I need to clean the closet. I need to clean the garage. I need to cut the grass. There's things I need to do. We know we need to do it, but we procrastinate. Listen to what James says about procrastinating. Verse 15, he says, rather than saying, I will, I will, I will, he said, you ought to just say, if the Lord is willing, then we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast about your arrogant plans and all such boasting is evil. Now he's going to tell us how to begin the process of aligning with God's plan. He says, so whoever knows what is good to do and does not do it is guilty of sin. So now he tells us, we know now what not to do. Let me tell you what to do. When you begin, just say, you know what, if God wants me to do that, that's what we're going to do. You'll hear this expression sometimes, well, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. <laughs> like the creek is not responsible to God. It's like, if God's willing and the creek on its own doesn't rise, I'm going to show up. No, God's over the creek too. It's just this, if the Lord's willing. And we need to incorporate that in our life. We need to incorporate that in our plans. We need to incorporate that into our comments. You know what, if God's willing, that's what I want to do. I would like to do this, but it's up to whether God wants it to happen or not. I've got them that I need to work on, and you do too. And then he goes on, he says, but, but instead of that, we just kind of boast like we have the answers. So he lands it, and he says this, so whoever knows what is good to do and does not do it is guilty of sin. So here's what we do. We have to get to a place where we say, okay, God is supreme. He's sovereign. I buy that. God will never be surprised because of that. That makes his plan good. God loves me enough to come down here and die for my sin. That means he has a better plan. God never makes a mistake. God always has a plan. And God is always good. And so I align myself with him and say, if you want to do this, then that's what will happen in my life. And he begins to tell us his will. He tells us what he wants us to do. He tells us in his word. He tells us through the Holy Spirit. He tells us in an a corporate environment like this. He tells us from godly people in our life who help us align ourselves with the will of God. 
Whatever it is, it must be good. So point number one, we got to get to a place where we just align with God. The kids, when they're growing up, my grandkids do this. Juliana and Judson want to play rock, paper, scissors. Juliana's four, and this is what she knows about rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. She's always a rock. She, she don't know she's got scissors. She don't know she's got paper. All she's got is a rock. And if you think you're going to stick paper out there and cover up her rock, she ain't going to have it. No, Papa, you are sizzles <laughs> so she can crush me, so she can win every time. So let me help you out here. Next time you have to make a decision, the next time you wonder what God's will is, the next time you begin to make your plans, just play rock, scissors, but modify a little bit. Rock, paper, scissors, God, you win. Every single time, just say, God, you win. Just sur surrender on the front end so he doesn't have to teach you on the rear end. <laughs> no pun intended. Just align yourself with the plan of God, the will of God, and everything will work out in the end. Now, he says, for him to knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it's a sin. Now, I've told you there's categories of sin or types of temptation and sin, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Jesus confronted them. Adam and Eve confronted them. That's the categories. But I want you to know there's two types of sins. There's the sin of commission and the sin of omission. He's talking about the omission sins. The committing sins is the committing sins, the ones we do. The omitting sins are the sins, the things that we should do that we don't do. Now, we're familiar, and we focus on the not doing sins. I know I shouldn't lie. I know I shouldn't steal. I know I shouldn't commit adultery. I know I shouldn't murder. And those are committing sins, th things that we're not supposed to do that we do. And we're familiar, and we focus on not committing sins. James says there's a, a sin that's equally, if not more important, and it's the sins of omission. It's when we don't do what it is he says we're supposed to do. Now, what would those be? Prayer's a good one. We should pray. We don't pray enough. That's a sin of omission. Reading the Bible. We should read the Bible. We're not reading the Bible. That's a sin of omission. Uh, God in, 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 uh, convicts our heart that we need to go to our spouse and say, hey, I'm sorry. I messed that up. Will you forgive me? And we don't do it. We procrastinate. God says, you need to call your parent and tell them that you love them, even though you hadn't talked to them in six months. We procrastinate. There's things that are the sins of omission. Now, why is it so important that we avoid sins of omission? You ready? Because when we are guilty of the sins of omission, the devil doubles down. Typically, it makes us guilty of the sins of commission. Now, what does that even mean? Here it is. If I'm not doing that which I should do, I am still doing something. And probably the something that I'm doing instead of the thing that I was uh, not supposed to do, I mean, the thing that I'm doing now rather than doing the other thing that I was supposed to do, now I'm guilty of omission and I've replaced it with the sin of commission. And so we, when God tells us to do something, we cannot have the attitude of procrastination. We'll just put it off. Well, I'll do that. He's already told us. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Our life is a vapor. Two of the greatest, I'll say three, three of the greatest 
sins of omission in the life of the church. One, people who feel the invitation of God into his forever family through Jesus' son. And they hear it, and something speaks down deep in their soul, but they never respond to it. They ponder on it. They think about it. They procrastinate about it, and they never surrender to Jesus. Secondly, there's people who have surrendered to Jesus, received his grace gift, and have been born again. But they've never been baptized. They hear it, and they kind of feel like, that's something I should do, but I'm not going to do it. They procrastinate. Thirdly, people saved, maybe baptized, but they never find their place to serve in the local church. They never pursue the gifts that God has given them to be incorporated and used in the church setting. And so they procrastinate on those things. I just want to tell you, don't procrastinate if you want to experience the greatness of God's plan in your life. Let it go. Just do what he wants you to do. One of the greatest questions I have is, Brother Joel, I just don't really know that I understand the will of God for my life. And my answer usually begins like this. Are you praying regularly? Well, no. Are you studying the Bible some regularly? Well, no. Have you told people about Jesus? Have you invited people to church? Well, no. Well, those are all the will of God. And until you do what he's already told you and stop procrastinating, why do you think he would tell you some more of his will? He can't trust you with the will he's already given you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe on this day, you're unaware of the reality of sins of omission. And you're not certain that it changes your relationship and your walk with God. With your head's bowed, I just want to share this brief story about King David. King David was amazing. As a small boy, he was a champion. God raised him up, and he was, he was kind to a king that hated him and tried to kill him. He was a warrior. He conquered enemies. It was incredible. But in 2 Samuel 11, there's this story about his failure. And it begins like this. In the spring, at the time, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. But David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. You see, Scripture says David knew what he should have done. It is the spring when the kings go out to do battle. But David committed the sin of omission. He did not do what he was supposed to do. And it's followed by him walking around on the roof and having a vision of a woman named Bathsheba. Ultimately, he would commit adultery with her. He would have her husband murdered, and their son would die. 
And maybe your life is not that dramatic. Certainly doesn't seem that way. I just want you to know that today, if the Holy Spirit is convicting your, your heart and your life of something you need to do, I want to encourage you. Do it. Do it. You will be aligning yourself with God's plan for your life. And when we do that, he honors it and he blesses it. Maybe that thing for you today is simply to give yourself to God and receive his gift of salvation into your life. And maybe for you it's to follow Jesus in baptism. Maybe for you it's to find your place in the local church to serve. I don't know what it is for you. I just want to encourage you to follow it. Lord, thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you. Thank you, God, for letting us open your word. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit will erase everything from our mind and memory that's not from you. But God, chisel in the granite of our heart the truth that you want us to apply to our life. God, help us. Help us align ourselves with your plan. Help us live our life that says, if you're willing, I'm willing. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.